0: Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap 17 albums, 17 soundtracks, six Grammys, and one ugly album cover.
1: In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories.
0: Good evening, everyone. Uh, As you can possibly tell by my voice, it's Tony Slagle. I am hosting tonight in lieu of our normal host, Doug. But as always, I'm joined in the Vinegaroon Saloon, our This Is Vinyl Tap headquarters, by our host, Doug Cooper, still here, silenced but not forgotten, and of course, our ever ever humble producer Jonathan Jamro. Good evening, Tapsters. Tonight we're going to be talking about the fourth album by Ryland Peter Rye Cooter, Paradise at Lunch. We uh we've been down this road a couple of times before, guys. This is that road being an artist whose main strength isn't necessarily writing songs but interpreting them. Yeah. I think most recently it was uh, Linda Ronstadt with Heart Heart Like a Wheel. Yeah. So, oddly enough, the person who picked this album also picked that album. Huh. But, even though this album was released in 1974, Doug, (laughs) this is not a Doug pick, is it? It's a guitar album. Yeah. It's a
1: early 70s album. Uh Uh-huh. It is on my shelf, (laughs) but it is not a Doug album.
0: No. So, I will turn my attention to our humble producer Jonathan J.M. Rowe, Jam. I'm going to ask you the question we always ask. Why this album? Talking. Was it uh, I know, it was the album cover that got me.
2: <laughs> this is one of the most hideous album covers you'll ever see. Um, I, I would
0: just like to say
1: that there comes a time when something <laughs> crosses a line. <laughs> And becomes so bad <laughs> it's that good. it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I think that. And I and for me, passes, this album
2: doesn't. It, does. it looks like he's just uh, being a Yahoo, having the time of his life. It actually
0: looks to me like a parody album. It's like something that, uh, what, what was that, k uh, KTEL would have done? Yeah. yeah. You know? Signed, I mean, they didn't like do parody sign. albums, but they did albums that they sold online. That's what yeah. the cover looks like to me, k or
1: Or if you album. were a member of Columbia Records yeah, and yeah. you wanted all the hits, they would have the originals. <laughs> Read. <laughs> They'd put an album out with ten of the top hits of the previous year by the originals. Oh, that's awesome! It uh, <laughs> would be horrible. Yeah, I remember yeah, being so
0: over, disappointed man. when I got that. I do want to get back to your question, to the question and your answer, oh. Jim. But I will just since we were talking about the big elephant in the room. Uh, this album seems to me like uh, I don't even know Jimmy Buffett would have picked this album cover. That's how bad it is.
2: Yeah, it's pretty. It does look like a mock parrot head.
0: I think an album
2: cover
1: is more important to Jimmy Buffett than it is to Cooder. Probably, <laughs> probably. Anyway, <laughs> all right,
0: Jay. I'm sorry about that little no problem uh, uh,
2: been rabbit hole. Um. So I was trying to think about why why did I choose this album? I'm not a big covers guy, but it, I do really like the way that Cooder interprets songs. He know seems to know so much about. Different forms of music. He seems to actually research albums quite a bit, and to me, this is one of the the, the selections that he's got on this is just out I mean, so good. It's such a good collection of songs. His version of those songs. Some of these songs, you one of these songs you probably do know, but you didn't. You've never heard it in this format. And it's one of those albums that I don't ever remember. Like I can't remember the first time I heard it. I can't remember. I don't even remember when I bought the CD. It's just one of those, it just seems like it's one of those albums that's just always been around, just been part of my DNA. I've just always heard it somewhere. And just, so it's always, I don't have like a specific memory of when I, this album grabbed. Remember, I I did go through a pretty big Rykooter stage, but I just think, like I said, I think it's a really good collection of songs. Many of them are traditional blues songs that are done in different ways. But then just, you know, there's another song on here. By a known hit maker, it's a very obscure song by a known hit maker on one of his own. I think it's an. This may be the only cover version of it that's that's done, and this guy's known for having all his songs covered. We'll get to that when we get to that song.
0: That's right. I was trying to figure out who you're talking about, but then I realized who you're talking about. Yeah.
2: Um, Then, and as as we've said, this is a guitar album. I mean, almost in spite of itself, It, it just the guitar work is just. I love Ry Cooder's guitar playing. It is very, very subtle. It's he's got a tone, especially on this album. This is a, the album where I think his tone just starts getting so y- unique and very Ry Coodery. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how he does it, but the tone on this album is so amazing. His guitar work. Uh, well, so. and it's important
1: to point out here that it doesn't matter what J M thinks about Ry Cooder's guitar playing, because the. In- Tire, musically aware world, can't stop talking about his guitar plan. Yeah. and
0: Is he a guitar player? (laughs) Among other
2: things.
1: You know, he he comes in at the top of all these best guitar players. And and the, the more the list is based on guitar players voting or other musicians, the higher he'll be. He's not one of these where they put him... As one of the greatest guitar players, like them, they put, yeah. Or oh, um, I was thinking like, oh, uh, John Lennon. Well, they put him way up there just because he's a pop star. Yeah. If the the more um, mm-hmm. the more aware they are of guitar playing, and and the reason for that is he
0: doesn't do flash at all. Yeah. Well, I I was gonna say he something that Jam said and something you just said reminded me of somebody else we've talked about, as JJ Kale. Yeah mm-hmm. and what yeah. i mean by that is they don't sound alike but they're both somebody who they're fantastic guitarists who don't show off right and their their influence on other guitarists is sound tone technique what they're doing mm-hmm. and the artistry of what they do do rather than holy cow mouth agape watching someone's fingers flying across the frets yeah, yeah. so um and and i think the more mature
1: a guitar player the more he's interested in note choice and tone right. than flash mm-hmm. i mean that he's the, in, the best guitar players i know they didn't they're not that interested in little uh arpeggios quick but, yeah. um arpeggios arpe- or running up and down scales as fast hammerons as you can and, well and you know, with, with the little thing with your fingers yeah. with what do they call that
2: hammer-ons i think
1: <laughs> like Eddie Van uh, or Halen
2: string to, pulls or something oh, yeah. with the
0: exception of one guitarist we've talked about Jimmy Page most of the flashy guitarists that we've mentioned um are have never been session musicians that's right yeah. and these and JJ Cale and and uh, Ry Cooder were both yeah long time yeah. session guys, well sought like sought after session guys yeah because of what they could do <laughs> why what in the, in the case of in the case
1: of uh, tonight's artist Ry Cooder it's a 16 year old getting called in to do sessions where he tells us they're wondering why he's been skipping school and he says well i've been doing (laughs) session work and he goes were they
0: paying you and goes five thousand dollars a week why are you still going to high school (laughs) Do do you know what his answer was to that question was uh, my parents' idea. <laughs> yeah the, the 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 counselor was yeah got called to the counselor's office. The counselor was trying to convince him that he needed to stay in school. And once he found out he's making five grand a week, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, "Nothing I could say is going to keep you
2: here, right?" Yeah, the counselor was probably making half that at, at best. <laughs> we were talking about him being a session guitar player, but a lot of times. I don't know that he's the session guitarist. You know, it, it, it's that's the point of a session yeah, guitarist, right? He doesn't have. You go well. We're looking for that Ry Cooder sound. We're just no. We're just looking for some guy that can make this song more interesting. I think he's he just he does ever. He reminds me of another guy named Jeff Jesse Ed Davis. That guy you never can tell when he's the guitarist on an album. Oh. Well. One one of the
0: things I was going to say is that you said you couldn't remember. I'm assuming Doug, you're the same way. You can't. This Doug this has always been a part of who you are. Probably. It goes it goes back a long way, but I
1: do know that I was sort of ordered to buy it by people I respected that had reviewed it and
0: yeah. said, "You have to have this, or you're not a serious person." I can remember exactly. <laughs> When I heard it the first time. <laughs> it was about four weeks ago. You yeah. pulled it out of your album stacks over here and put it on and, and played it. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I am, I am definitely a newbie to Rykooter. But something Jam said before we started, which is true for anybody listening who's not heard Rykooter's albums, and I'm sure a lot of you have, uh, those of you who haven't have likely heard him on something else. Yeah. I didn't know that he couldn't tell us apart. Did you say that? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but J.M. said that. I apologize, Doug. I will give, give we, we, all for critics, dude. we all yeah. look the same. We all look the same. You people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I guess one of he's played with the Rolling Stones. He's played with Little Feet, um,
0: the Everly Brothers,
2: Brothers. I have a Blender very Ronstadt. impressive list.
1: Yeah. Oh, let's hear it, Doug. Yeah. Rolling Stones, Steve by Van Morrison, Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Monkeys, Gordon Lightfoot, Little Feet, Judy Collins. Aro Guthrie and Everly Brothers, and that's leaving most of them out. Oh, I forgot Captain Beefheart.
0: Wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to favorite. some. We'll get to some of this stuff when we talk briefly talk yeah. about the history because yeah. there's some of them are important sort of marks in what happened.
1: Yeah, and if uh, you never listened to music, you probably heard
2: him in a movie. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of uh, soundtrack work. In fact, I think his soundtrack. An article that I was reading about him said that his sound, if you really want to hear Ry Cooter at his best, listen to his soundtracks because they are, they are, they're long on atmosphere. They're all unique. They, you know, you can't believe it's the same guy making the same soundtrack. I have a collection of his soundtrack. One of the albums I listened to this. That but,
1: and, and it's what made him the most money. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah his, his albums weren't big sellers. No, no. I, I see them everywhere, but I, I guess they don't sell. Yeah, they just show up they in show up. Uh, used
0: record bins. <laughs> the one, the one we're talking about tonight like just barely broke the top two hundred. Yeah, but it is considered one of his either his top or his top two albums. Yeah, what's the? He's got that curse where uh everybody
1: praises his albums but doesn't buy them. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine most people would like that reversed at least for one album. Yeah. So
0: I am, uh, I'm going to take a page out of Doug's book. And this time I do know who I'm talking about. <laughs> normal host Doug. <laughs> and I'm going to ask a question to both you guys. And, and this is a question you, you ask questions like this a lot. And I think they're good questions because they tend to give people who may not be familiar with the artist a bit of context. So if Ry Cooter was a mixed drink, <laughs> and you've got to use you've got to use bands or musicians as the ingredients what would be what would be in a rye cocktail either one of you can start
2: uh, that's, that's a tough hard.
0: one. what i mean is basically who like in the universe of what he I sounds know. like who's he I, I, I would pour in a little doc watson yeah just because
1: he's a fantastic guitar player that interprets the american song book on the uh Working man side of the American songbook. Yeah. Um I would with the guitar playing he he's Leo Kotke is another slide guitar player that plays a lot of acoustic, but the two aren't very close in their sound. You could tell them apart immediately. Mm-hmm. But I can't think
0: of another acoustic uh slide guitar. Any, player. any bands that sound sort of what he does? Little feet? I was about to say I, little feet. I think first that's probably and, the closest in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think the way they approach American music in general, and just sort of the sound it, it's I funny. think they came out of the same woodwork, yeah yeah i I there there were two other there are two other bands that sort of came to mind when I was listening To this album uh not so much well, one of them I think one of the songs definitely sounds like this band, but the other one just the feel of the album reminded me of them and the first one is the the band oh, I can hear cool. a little bit of the band in in at least one of these songs. But the whole feel of this thing reminded me a lot of uh, early '70s Dead, Grateful Dead. You yeah. know,
1: I can see that. I can see that too. Yeah. Now yeah. that you mentioned Little Feet, though, I think of their first album is a very close mm-hmm. match, um, and that's of course the album he played on. But <laughs> it's it's more unruly than he is. Yeah. But it is uh, it is similar. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that the fascinating thing to me about this particular album and the songs on it is they're they're structured. There's an organization to them, but they're loose at the same time. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's and he's he seems to be a very we keep using this word. He's a tasteful, very tasteful guitar player, but I think he is also a very disciplined guitar player. Uh, It sounds like his. It doesn't seem like he's just throwing out a guitar solo, just coming up with a guitar solo. It sounds like
1: I don't think. I don't think I can think of anyone with more ability and less inclination to show off on yeah. guitar.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: he, You know, what, something that when I say everybody's heard him, he did a lot of the guitar work on the karate, not the Karate Kid. Who's that? Oh, the, at Ralph Macchio. Oh, um, yes. The guy that was a karate kid that played guitar in the next movie instead of doing karate. What's that called? uh crossroads crossroads all right Uh, based on the legend with uh um, john robert johnson robert johnson so he plays a lot of the guitars on that i think that was a popular movie i don't know
2: i think it was well that's the one with steve vi yeah
1: so he and steve Vibe steve Vibe is the demon the devil or something yeah Oh, that's and
0: funny. i d I've not seen that. Before. He's
1: uh he's playing slide against Steve Vai and it's uh actually not the little punk kid doing it, it's uh hmm. it's Ry Cooter. But um <laughs> little punk kid. Uh, well, Ralph what sec- Macchio. Yeah, the the guy that's the does the swan kick in the R- credit and then when you watch the what's the updated one where you Cobra switch Kai. sides yeah you, you,
2: you go to the other guy's side <laughs> anyway we're off track that's
0: that's called uh subverting your expectations that's right so
1: anyway why were we talking about that um I it's just to
0: kind of show you that
1: he that's the only time i was gonna say it's the only time he tried to do some flash and that was to fight the devil
0: yeah <laughs> well and and what's really really interesting about him from my point of view having not known much about him is this really unique thing he does where he pulls all these f- weird songs from, yeah i mean when you when jam when you said that you're not into covers there is a there is a song that most people have heard on this album, but in terms of it, there's not a single song he wrote. But and they're all somebody else's songs. But I don't know if you can call them covers because no, yeah, you know nobody's true. heard they're them. They're so all altered, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah they're and so they're altered. altered too. I mean, they're yeah. definitely different versions. Well, um, yeah. as y'all know, I'm
1: a, I'm very woke. I'm, <laughs> I'm very PC, and I've been waiting for uh, four weeks to say this, but. <laughs> Uh, I am highly offended at <laughs> Rai and his rampant cultural appropriation. <laughs> this is 100% cultural appropriation, right, yeah. and he goes on to appropriate every culture <laughs> that he bumps into uh, and really does a good job of it. Yeah. I, I need to register my highly offended self. <laughs> He's going to culturally appropriate... Hawaiian music. Uh I need to quit doing that. <laughs> Listen, everybody. Boom. That sounds ominous. It does. It like, does. I should make soundtracks. Yes. Anyway, uh Hawaiian music, Cuban music,
0: Tex Mex. Tex Mex. African. Which is strength.
1: why we're uh why we're experts. experts. Um African music.
0: Car- Caribbean music. Yeah. Yeah. He gets into all of it and yeah. and not to mention just the basics, blues, jazz, country. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: So Anyway. Uh, Chances are you're not, it, there's this, Ry Cooter didn't write the song that you're listening to, uh, but you're not going to know it anyway. That was kind of what Doug was, the point Doug was making, you know, and y'all were making earlier. It's like, yeah, they're not really covers. They're just.
0: No, he he has the ability to make a song of his own. Yeah.
2: Well,
1: but, we, but, we ought to mention
0: for people who
1: are wondering if they should quit listening because they don't know this guy. Uh, Buenos. Aries. Uh, Aries. Social. Aries, uh, social what? The Buena Vista Buena Social Vista. Vista. So, so, so Club. <laughs> I thought you said Buenos Aires. And I did. I was going, that got me off track.
2: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that well, sold old, eight million up.
1: albums. Yeah, and I crazy. remember when that was everywhere you would go. If you went to have brunch somewhere, they were yeah. playing that album. And that's yeah. a Rancuser project. And yeah. it's it's an that's got to be the biggest thing you ever did. I think, probably. I think it is. Yeah,
2: probably. Yeah. But
1: that won all kinds of awards, and it was popular all over um, They even Earth. made a movie out of it. They made a movie out of it, and uh, it That's is fun stuff. music. It is
2: great music. And another thing that he does very, very well, even though he is the leader of the band, he lets the others in the band shine quite a bit. He is very much – he's fine with being in the background. He does not want attention called to him. In fact, if you've watched the movie – He's not jumping around on stage or anything. He's sitting well, in the back and playing. It's because he
0: surround. He likes to surround himself by guys he admires. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, you're not going to push them aside so you can prove who what yeah. you know who's got well, better set. I've never picked
1: up a bit of him caring about what anybody thinks <laughs> at all. It's yeah. it's pretty remarkable. He's yeah. alone in that. Yeah. Um. Yep. um so all right. We want to talk about where he came from. Sure,
0: we could do that. Like I said, there's a. I'll I'll try to go through this fairly quickly. But there's a couple of high points I think we need to focus on because they're interesting. So he's born in Los Angeles in 1947. He got his first guitar at four. Wow. And it's funny. There's a little. There's a bit of muddiness to the origin story of that. So I don't know if you guys know. You know he's got a he's got a prosthetic eye. Yeah. Because when he was three, he was working on a toy toy, and he ended up putting a screwdriver in his eye. I don't know which one, but which yeah. screwdriver? No, Which eye? <laughs> it's a left eye. But um, he was laying in bed. One of the I sort think of it was st- Phillips. Phillips <laughs> said, uh, "One of the uh, versions says he was laying in bed one night, and a friend of his dad's, who was a violinist, came in and put something on his on his chest in bed, and he said, what's this?' He had
1: he'd been in a year of." Recovery, recovery with his eyes bandaged. Yes. so he hasn't he hasn't seen anything right. in a year. So that's why he can't tell what's on his chest. And
0: he says it's a guitar. Uh, the the other story I've heard was that his uncle gave him a little um, a little uh, what three three and a quarter size tenor guitar. The one was like four, four strings, strings on it. Yeah, yeah, four. Yeah, sorry. Uh So I don't know which of those is true, but anyway, he, he, the true true story is that he got his first guitar when he was four. His dad ended up getting him a Martin when he was, I think, ten, Jeez. because he was so impressed by. Well, his, his dad
1: quit playing when he was five because he was better than his dad. Yeah. <laughs> he hung up his guitar because his five year old was kicking his butt.
0: He discovers bluegrass at thirteen. In 1963, at the age of 16, he starts playing at this place called the Ash Grove, which is a folk club in L.A. as a performer. He also spent an awful lot of time there, sitting in the front row, watching guys...
1: about you, T? Ain't you got no connection?
0: Jack Nietzsche. All right. He is the person who brought uh, Ry Cooter over to England to record on the Rolling Stones session. Is that right? Yes, sir. Oh,
2: very uh, interesting. Very good. Yeah. And Jack Nietzsche is? He's a string arranger who worked with Neil Young and uh, a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, we've talked about him a couple of times. Yeah. And he's uh,
1: yeah, he's uh, Of course, Ry Cooter did play with Neil Young, with Eric Clapton, oh. with Little Feet. Let, yeah. me,
0: let me make a co- correction to my. He brought Rai over correction. To, play your on, function? to play on the soundtrack for a Performance, which was a film that Mick Jagger was in. And that's what led him to stay over there and play on the Rolling uh, Stones. How many times have you watched Performance take? Zero. Zero, really.
2: <laughs> You're saving that. I'm
0: saving it, yes.
2: Oh, and then uh, we'll get to this. I guess when you start talking about it, on this one. Well, we might
0: uh, as well talk about him now.
2: Milt Holland. Mm-hmm. We've talked about him. He's. Uh, played percussion on he i think he was part of that uh the wrecking crew he has just been on so so many i'm sure there's albums we forgot so He's the dick on-
0: he was on dixie chicken which we did mm-hmm. good old boys which we did yeah he played on aerial
1: ballet yeah whoa i didn't know that yeah, i didn't know harry know nielsen yeah. album that doesn't sound like him
0: at all yeah, <laughs> so that's that those are the three that i know about i've got yeah. my He's my. also, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that the way they got together, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, he played on Safe as Milk, which is uh, Captain Beefheart's debut album, which nice. Ry okay. Cooter is also on.
1: And my third Linda Rostat connection, which slipped my mind just for a moment, is they both sang On the Dark Side of the Street. Oh, okay. And it was a big song for him and huh. a fairly big. I mean, she had so many big songs. Who's to say what
0: her big song is? Yeah. But. How about um, Jim Keltner?
2: Yep. That's <laughs> nice, right? hey, he's another studio ace. He's been yeah. on so, so many albums. Well, he's he even on, played on a Wilty Messi album. So he
0: was on the albums we've talked about is Dave Mason, Alone Together, mm-hmm. For Every Man. The, oh, um, I forgot oh, yeah, about that. That's
2: right. Yeah.
0: And then uh, also Good Old Boys. There's a lot of people that played on Good Old and
1: Boys. And then uh, yeah. didn't he end up with, did he end up with John Cougar? Or I'm thinking of
2: Kenny. Yeah. No, no, no. You're thinking of Kenny Aronoff. Kenny Aronoff. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, I saw him. Yeah, Booker T and the MGS. I don't think we've done a Booker test where he got. That's probably where he cut his chops.
1: But we got a very highly connected uh, person. He, so, you know, if you if you're in LA
0: and you're talented, you're probably going to end up on a lot of people's records. Yeah. But going back to kind of the history, he he ended up in, by the end of '73. He's in a band, a blues duo with Jackie Del Shannon, which I know we've talked about her before. I just don't remember.
2: What she write Uh, when you walk in the room? Did she write that one? Anyway, I know I'm I'm pretty
0: sure we talked about. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure um, we have too. And then he was also good enough. He starts playing at this point, as Doug mentioned, as a session musician on stuff. Um, and it's 1964. She meets a guy by the name of John Fahey, has a tremendous impact on Mr. Cooter because he's the person that shows him how to play the slide yeah. tells him about the bottle. Um, and uh, it's funny because uh, Ry Cooter says his first exposure to slide guitar was on Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, the uh, Blind Willie Johnson mm-hmm. version of the song. And he's yeah. like, I have no idea how he's making these sounds. So he meets this guy and they're talking. And he's like, oh, this is what you do it. So he shows him the bottle and he's, he's trying to play it and he can't figure out why he's not making the sounds. And uh, Faye says, you got to you got to open tune this sucker, boy, because he didn't know what to do. and yeah, so, and so he yeah. says once he once he heard, uh, was exposed to the uh, wonders of open tuning. It opened up this whole yeah. world for him. Jam. What you're, is open tuning? Explain to our audience what open tuning is.
2: Yeah, it's uh, open tuning is usually you tune your guitar to an actual chord. So if you just strum the chord, or if you just strum your guitar and you just move your finger, your your whole finger up frets, it's going to make. You know, you're just going to be playing chords the whole time. So a lot of people use that for slides. Um, a lot of people also use it for kind of droning effects. Um, and Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton uses it. You uh, know
1: why she does it? Why? Because she has really long fingernails, and she does- and she doesn't want.
0: <laughs> so she just plays the like bar? she plays bar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: Um- yeah, it's it. And, it's and he does he
0: mainly play in? Yeah, G? almost
2: always plays in in like an open E or an open D. I think. Oh boy, I, he in the things I said, it was open G yeah, a lot. That open he's G is he, what I he he
0: he says well, he told uh,
2: we'll, Keith we'll, Richards yeah, we'll how to that. play <laughs> <laughs> <in> open
1: <laughs> G. We're,
0: we might as well get to that story too yeah. right now. Well, we'll get to it in a minute because I want to get to a couple of things.
1: Well, Keith Richards famous for drop, drop D more than open
2: G, but. Yeah, but he has that guitar where he take took the top string off, and yeah. he plays a lot of like honky tonk women, and uh, and
1: uh, that's a a lick that some people say Rocker came up with that lick. Yeah, so well,
0: uh, yeah. Um, and since Tony hates wrong, the Rolling Stones, I'm <laughs> no, sure I, he I, agrees I, with it. I, no, I think, I think it's funny because what, what Ry Cooter says is he's over there playing on these sessions. And we talked about – well, we haven't talked about songs he's played on, the songs the Rolling Stones songs on that he's played on. But he was over there playing on sessions for the Stones. And he says that he would do something on a guitar and Keith Richards would leave the room. He's like, I thought the guy didn't like me. Well, according to Ry Cooter, the tape was recording the whole time he's in the, in there. And he goes, I played basically everything I knew. And he believes that Keith Richards took all that and essentially stole, like stole his guitar style from him.
2: Wow. Oh. So, yeah,
0: anytime I like can badmouth the Stones, I'm okay <laughs> with that. So I think it's worth mentioning a couple of Stones songs he played on. He was on Sticky Fingers, and the song that I think he's most associated with off that is Sister Morphine. Oh, you see, that I'm not that strong. The scream of the ambulance is
1: sound- he only got one track, though. He only got <laughs> the right side. <laughs> anyway, so... Did anybody write more
0: song- songs about opiates than the Rolling Stones? <laughs> Going back to the early history, Raikou's early history... In 1965, you joined a band called The Rising Suns with Taj Mahal mm-hmm. and drummer by the name of Ed Cassidy. Do you guys know who that is? Played in Spirit. He was he was Randy California's father in
2: law. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a drummer for Spirit,
0: <laughs> um, and they they end up recording an album that doesn't get released. They did re- I think released a single, but they re- recorded an album that wasn't released at the time. But it has since been released, and I'm going to play you a little snippet of that. Rising Suns this is called 44 Blues. a little uh not a little surprising that the record company didn't know what the hell to do with that <laughs> in 1965 yeah but i think uh, what's telling about that is he ends up getting producer grabs him from that band and he ends up playing in with a guy by the name of Don Van Vliet I'm screwing his name up as well But I do know what he's also known as Which is Captain Beefheart Uh. And he plays on As we mentioned Captain Beefheart's first album Safe as Milk Play a little bit of that for you Sure So yeah, uh
1: Captain Beefheart and the Rolling Stones in a single night. It's hard to
0: believe you didn't pick this guy. I don't mind Beefheart. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Mainly mainly I don't listen to him a lot, but because it's hard to for me. Yeah. Uh and it's I hard think too, for most people. Uh, there's some people that lo- really love yeah. him. but um, yeah, and There's some people that think the emperor is wearing clothes. I actually <laughs> own that album and have for a while, which is kind of funny. The funny story about that was he was tapped to uh, replace a guitarist in Beefheart's magic band. That was his band. was Captain Beefheart and his magic band, who had suffered a nervous breakdown. So he has to drive out to the desert to, to practice with Beefheart, because that's where he lives. And this guitarist keeps showing up. <laughs> One night he shows up with a loaded crossbow. And uh, he points it at... at, Rye. uh, Rye. Ryeland. Yes, and Captain Beefheart talks the guy down and says, go to your room, and he ends up going to his room and nothing happens. Oddly enough, Ry decides, maybe I should wander off to college for a little while and take a little (laughs) break from this music biz. I'll I'll
1: tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if you have children, I would advise you to tell them to
0: avoid bands where people point loaded crossbows at you.
2: <laughs> well, it's something I tell my kids.
0: What's uh, what's funny about that is he's he's in college and he's up there and he, and it do- doesn't really last very long. He leaves but about a year, and his, his comment is, he says, once you've recorded with Captain Beefheart and looked down the barrel of a loaded crossbow, you, you're going to get a mite bored in college. <laughs> so The barrel yeah. of a
1: crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: anyway. Yeah, and, and we've talked about some of the other guys he played with, uh, Rolling Stones, obviously, and we mentioned some other people. And then he ends up, I don't actually know, I looked for it, I don't actually know the story of how he got signed either. You guys know that?
1: Well,
2: I don't know how he got he signed. He got
1: signed to reprise which yeah. was a subsidiary of Warner, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. His the way he describes it is they were just filling up their stable. And he said that back then they would sign people much more eagerly than they do now. But there was a producer that knew him from his work on sessions and I just remembered another connection
0: oh. for his session work. He played with Long Branch Penny Whistle. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who was uh, Glenn Fry was in that band, and of course we talked about them with mm-hmm. the him But yeah,
1: yeah. So the, a, a a producer that had worked with the bands that he was doing uh, session work for it, suggested it, him.
2: Okay,
0: it must have been interesting. And I guess we've you know we've talked about how Warner Brothers was very generous with a lot of their artists in terms of letting them do stuff, and I'm guessing being on reprise subsidiary the parent company felt the same way because i would think it would be strange for a guy to show up and say this is what i'm going to record and people are looking at it going where, where the heck did you find these songs you know <laughs> from know. 100 years ago <laughs> yeah
1: i you know if i were an AR guy that made a living selling records i would never ever ever sign Ryan Co- ride cooter yeah. there's there's nothing about him that makes me think there's a hit but yeah
2: Having said that, I, I love his music. Another thing that's interesting about Cooter, we're talking about his guitar playing, but he he has sung, I mean, like on this album in particular, he sings a lot, And but his voice is a chameleon as well. It's hard to tell when, who, that you can't just say, well, that's got to be ry Cooter singing. I mean, if you listen to his soundtrack work, you listen to this, even this album, it's kind of hard to say. To, it's because he doesn't have a voice, right? and I, this is going to sound like
1: a, a negative, but... This guy doesn't have his own thing. He goes into these other genres, and he's like that. What's that lady on the Avengers or the X-Men or something? She's naked and blue, and she turns into everybody else. Anyway, that's what he he is.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's where he he kind of differentiates himself from, like, Linda Ronstadt or somebody. Well,
1: I mean, Linda Ronstadt takes on other genres, but... There's always Lindy. her, yeah. but he takes on these other genres and just melts into them. He does.
0: He immerses yeah. himself. And in then
1: it. Yeah. when he's singing, you know, it's, it's one of my faults with this album is he doesn't, he's not, this is the opposite of confessional songwriting. Yeah. This is all songs where he's playing a character. And it's it's one of the things that limits my time with the album. It's the opposite of Jackson Brown. The thing that limits my time with Jackson Brown is okay, okay, stop. I've heard all about you. <laughs> yeah, I know all about your little story. Yeah. The thing about Ry Cooter is you're acquiring other people's stories and telling them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which he does very well. Does very but well, they're not yeah, his, right. and it, it sometimes it seems like, like particularly this album sounds like almost all novelty songs. Mm-hmm. Very true. Even the name of the album. Well,
0: I, I think, yeah, I think what he does, and and we can talk about that when we get to certain songs. He, when a song is funny or is written to be humorous, he really plays that part up. Like he he's, he does. he's gonna let you know this is a funny song. You know, yeah, and it's not a bad thing, but he does do it. Mystique, by the way, is the name of the blue lady on X Men in case anybody's gonna start writing this <laughs> in. It took me a while to That's figure X-Men, that right? out. That's X Men, right? Yeah, it's X Men. It made me it took me a while to figure to remember what it was, but yeah. being the geek in the group, I, I had to <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that um I'm if if you're a red eyed person, I hope you won't be offended. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he puts he puts out three albums before the one we're talking about tonight that I think people tend to say are very similar in their tone. Yeah. And then this album branches out a little bit more songs or some more upbeat songs, more sort of fun songs, if you will, Yeah. On, on Paradise and Lunch. But just to mention them, his debut album was self-titled, and then he's got Into Into the Purple Valley, which was released in 72, and then in Boomer Story, which was also released in 72. They were released about six or seven months apart from each other. All right. And then this one was released in 74,
2: Paradise yeah. and Lunch. Summer of 74, I believe. Are we ready to get into the album itself? Yeah, we can do that. I'm to talk about who talked about some of the people that have played on it. Why don't you
0: fill fill in fill in, JM? Who else do you want to talk about on? Uh... I, while, while you're doing that, I will say it's it's funny. Uh, a couple of things he talked about with this album in particular. Somebody asked him where the songs came from, mm-hmm. and his, <laughs> his his response was, "They're the ones that came up." That was that was it. It <laughs> was like no plan it wasn't some sort of plan. I want to do this, this, and this, and this. Is like people brought songs to the table, and mm-hmm. he said, "Oh, that sounds like a good one." And then the other thing he said is, this is the first album he had male backup singers on, and that was a big deal. That was, was big. a big deal and to that him.
2: Makes a that's what it, uh, one of the things I wanted to say. The, that's a big sh- part of his sound. Yeah, the guys on the the backing the ba- backing vocals, Bobby King. Fun. He's been on lots. He was just kind of a well-known gospel R and B guy, but he's pl- he's sung on tons of albums. You got. Russ Tittleman, oddly enough, being one of the backup singers on this, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, he's playing bass and doing that. Speaking of bass players, there's a guy named Red Callender. He is, he's been on lots and lots of albums.
0: He was on Good Old Boys.
2: Yep, he was on Good Old Boys. He's kind of, he was, you, you got those session guys that worked for Warner Brothers and, you know, you. He's. These are a lot of the sessions that work. One of Warner the
0: burritos with. is on this, I believe.
2: Yeah. You're, Chris Etheridge, right? Yeah. Keith Etheridge was a, Keith, Keith, Chris Etheridge was a burrito, right. And yeah. he was. An, an international submarine band. Yeah. And
0: he was also, I believe he played on. Good old boys. He did play on good old boys. A couple other albums too. Yeah. He was a.
2: Oh, he played with um, Linda Ronstadt. He did. Yeah. That's right. Um and then the last person I wanna mention and we should probably we'll talk about him more when we get to the to the song, but Earl Hines oh, yeah. on the piano man, oh, yeah. he is or was an amazing he, this is one of the I think this was made a few years before. Um but he was just one of the most incredible guitar uh piano players. Uh he was known as Baba Hines. A lot of people
0: Yeah, and I mean a lot of these guys, jazz guys, talk about him in terms of a piano player the way they talk about other famous yeah like louis Armstrong and
2: guys like that just yeah. the, the
0: the way he impacted the the music
2: it's just incredible look at, it's like he's in the same chord he's playing the same chord that everybody else is but there's just so much going on yeah. when he plays those It'll, yeah but it's it's incredible those are the guys and again we mentioned it for produced by Russ Tillman and lenny Warner that they've they were kind of the staple producers. I think um, Lenny Warneker and Randy Newman were best buds growing up. as kids. Oh
0: yeah, they. they uh, f- I was reading about them and they they used to you know play normal games, but they all- would also was there when their kids would play uh, artist and producer. <laughs> 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 what, kids, what kids would do that? Very strange. But
2: uh, I guess well, they both came from musical. musical fans, yeah. yeah.
0: All right, so are we ready to get into the album, boys? I believe we are. Shall we play the first song on side one? Do that's a good place to start. That's yeah. tamp them up solid. Tamp them up solid, but it's old it won't come down.
1: Tamp em up solid, so they won't come down. Tamp up solid, but it's all they won't come
0: down. Baby, when you marry, get a railroad man. Every day I'll be paid. Dollar bill in your
2: hand. Baby in your hand. Baby in your hand. So you know, I could have seen JJ Cale doing this song. True. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> um, it's a great it's a great song. It's a traditional song. Uh, it's a it's a railroad building
0: song. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like what John Henry, the steel driving man, and yeah. that, that vein. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those songs that provides a rhythm for the workers so they can stay on track.
2: So it's, it's, uh, I love the guitar work on it. It's almost all of him playing acoustic. Uh,
1: I think that's my favorite guitar work on the, on the, the record. It may yeah.
0: be mine too, but I, it's
2: not, I mean, it's not, what is it? Just his style, I guess. He's just playing the upper, the, the lower strings pitch wise with uh, that I, bottleneck and he's just,
1: that he hey, puts man. on his pinky. Yeah. Well, most bottleneck players, I believe, put it on their you know, he makes ring finger. Own, he
0: ring finger. There's just, they're most just, most of the good ones do. They're just whiskey bottles that yeah. he uses. I read someplace that said do, drop D tuning. Okay, so what does that mean? Jamie? Drop
2: D means that uh, you try you take the D the E string at the top of the guitar, you drop it down to a D.
0: And what does that do?
2: It gives it kind of a droning effect. Uh, I've used it. Uh, in Your a lot favorite of it. band does that on
1: almost all their songs. Pink Floyd. No, uh, <laughs> Rolling Stones.
2: Oh, Rolling Stones. Pink That's Floyd. That's Mick Jagger. <laughs> But it is something that it's uh, it's, a, it's <laughs> I knew who you were talking yeah, about. That. David Gilmore uses it a lot. Um, so he, especially when he's got that Telecaster out, comfortably numb with. But so, uh, has do you know anybody else that puts that thing
0: on their pinky? It's, it's does most he big, does he have big fingers, and that's the only one he does on? have.
1: He says he has large hands, and he had them since he was a little maybe kid. That's yeah. yeah, maybe fit. that's most, the only one. most most of had. the time it's on the ring finger. Yeah, I don't see and, how you... But he has a little tiny bottleneck slide that he puts on his pinky, and it's it's only half the size of his pinky, and huh, I it's I really cool to watch a close up of him playing. Yeah,
0: and it makes you want to quit playing guitar. <laughs> well, this this song was originally recorded by Alan and John Lomax in Louisiana oh, really? in 1994. Yeah, or no, I'm sorry, 34, 1934. They would they were going around recording, yeah, yeah. you know, traditional things. So and. I, I'm assuming I'd read someplace that some of these songs were songs that were just in the vaults in Warner Brothers, and that Ray Cooter would go and pull pull yeah, songs wow. that he thought. I mean, he would spend time in there listening to stuff that he wanted that he found interesting. Huh. I'm assuming this is one of those songs.
1: That's one of his biggest contributions is introducing people to uh, great American music. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree with you on that. I.
0: So you Obscure know I'm a, I'm a newbie to this guy in terms of him Love as a recording artist. So obviously the guitar stands out, but I'm really impressed by his vocals on this song. I too. do,
2: I am too. I like his vocals a lot on this song. Uh again, seems to get it inhabits that character. He's another thing about him, and especially this song and especially on this album. There is a sense of humor there about it You know, he's not He doesn't feel like he has to sing it perfectly He can be the funny character He can Some of the way he delivers the lines I think that's given away on the cover Yeah
0: <laughs> Well, he's got Again, he's got this looseness And even the way he's singing That really works well yeah. on this particular song You know? Yeah I mean, it's Anyway, works quite well Okay, anything else we want to say about Tamp up solid? Fine song Fine All right. song Makes me want to go Good. work it's a good way to uh makes
2: good you, way to start the album. Yeah, it off. Makes me wanna build the railroad.
0: Alright, moving on to song number two, Tatler.
1: Oh. oh my tree, Now that kinda of he ain't got as much sense as a muse. You know everyone don't love you, they're just a playing you for a fool.
0: Well there's those male vocalists yep. in the background. Does this remind anyone of any other album we've talked about? It reminds me of somebody in particular that you guys will punch me when I say it, but I want to hear what you have to say, Doug.
2: <laughs> I can't think of who it
0: makes
1: me think of Paul Simon with Lady Smith Beck Le Bonzo. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Because
1: it comes together perfectly and He's doing something with them that he couldn't do on his own. Yeah. And awesome. it's it's
0: magical. Very well, nice. it's, you know, we we all tend to do this when we're listening to something that we're not that familiar with. We pull things that we are familiar with, and they come into our heads. So, first time I heard this, I was in the car with my daughter, and we both at the same time said, this sounds like J- a James Taylor song. <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know why but it reminds me of i could hear james taylor
2: i could see this. james taylor doing this song.
0: i i can
1: hear at at the top of his voice i can hear someone thinking that sounds like james taylor's voice yeah, yeah. and that may be where it's coming from but, i i don't think it sounds like a construction of james taylor uh, but i can i can hear the voice
0: yeah i mean the the backup singer's definitely give it a different flavor yeah um, really
2: I mean it could you could have gone something real easy and got female backup singers on this and it might have been even a bigger hit, but I, I it's just something about the way that those male backup singers come in. It's it, uh,
1: it is one of those rare songs that just captures you. Um it, it reminds me of Fool Yourself, uh the Little Feet song that we heard on Dixie Chicken. Yeah.
0: It's just smooth and... It is very smooth. It The, the background of the song is kind of interesting. So it was written by Washington Phillips and recorded by him in 1929 for Columbia. And it was designed to be... It's two parts, one on each side of a 78. The version that Rykooter does is mainly this part two of the song. But he includes some of the lyrics from part one, and he and he also includes. I think the chorus is completely his, so that's hmm. why he gets writing credit okay. on it. I was and, wondering. I, yeah, I was hoping. Yeah, back. that's why he gets writing credit on it, and that's why when Linda Ronstadt sings it, he gets money from that <laughs> 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 because he he did he did do some stuff to it. Yeah. Um, he also said in an interview with Guitar Player that the overall sound of this song is a result of playing the D position in G tuning. What does that mean, JM? D position
2: and G. I guess so he plays a, the chord D, but he has a G he has a open t- tune to an op- G, Yeah, I guess. open yeah, it has an open tune to a G. Have you have you ever seen him play it? Yeah, he, he he capos up to like the third fret and he a lot of it's just open the way he's playing it, it seems like a lot of it's open tuned. You can
1: tell Yeah. This is this is a very open yeah. Very open chords he's
0: playing. Uh, and and talking about bringing something to somebody's attention. So this song was, un, even though it was recorded in 1929, it was unreleased until 1971. Really? Yeah, and it was on an and only part two was released on an album called "This Old World in a Hell of a Fix." I <laughs> doubt many people heard it, but Ry Cooter brought it to everyone's attention. I, I, a lot of people have recorded the song. I've I, obviously we talked about Leonard Ronstadt, but the, one of the most fascinating people. David Soul did a
2: copy of this <laughs> Yeah, song. that's right. Uh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> On his playing to an audience of one, which is probably about right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, some of you, I think we have three fans under 50. <laughs> David Soul was uh, part of Starsky and Hutch. Is he
0: Hutch or he Starsky? Was, I believe he was Hutch. Yeah, yeah he was a sensitive one. Yes. And
1: he, what was that song? He goes... Don't but, give up on us, baby. Yeah, big, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: God, what a poor. Horrible... <laughs> I remember even hate it. Songs, a, it and... songs like that that makes me hate the '70s. Absolutely God. hate the '70s. But then we talk about albums, that makes me realize that there was other people stuff were going fighting on. against
1: it. You <laughs> know, <laughs> it was songs like that that brought us the Ramones. <laughs> <laughs> God, then God bless him. <laughs> yeah, that'd be uh, great. To they see were that. pulling
2: back the bow. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But yeah, that was uh, that was an unfortunate one. And Russ Tillman gets. <laughs> I got
1: I got to look up David Gates singing that. Maybe we'll Not, put it on. No, the, David Soul. David, we'll David Soule. Soul. We'll, we'll, we'll put it thing. on the website. If you want to
2: see the cheesiest stuff you've ever seen in your life, watch videos of David Soul with we'll the see. with
1: the fuzzy like oh, the yeah, Captain yeah, Kurt's but, about to kiss somebody fuzz effect.
2: Yeah, the, <laughs> what do they
0: call that? Uh, soft focus. Soft, soft focus. They yeah. basically, basically put a pantyhose over the lens. or whatever. <laughs> in there. Uh, yeah. All right, moving on. To- Let's do something
1: macho real fast. <laughs> yeah. Moving
0: on to song number three: "Married Man's a Fool." <laughs> That's a
1: macho song. Yep. <laughs> now he cast his eye about, then he looks over there Amen Corner. All the sisters come in to shout.
2: What did he say? He said a married man's a fool to think that his wife. Loved the
1: 21 Every married woman got to have a little fun just chapter just to let that woman make a fool out
2: of you another great great song <laughs> so it's th-
1: listening to the instruments <laughs> <laughs> that they're, they're all doing something amazing yep they are they
2: coming in at weird times too.
0: this is a song that rhymes with the band a little bit
2: I can see that mm-hmm. yeah. it's got
0: that weird band beat that who I would be singing more? on that Probably Yvonne. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I can I see, see
1: definitely. that. Yeah, I, definitely. Definitely. Uh, I can see
0: him I've never thought of that before, it, yeah. but I can see that. Have you guys yeah. heard the Willie the blind Willie McTell version of the song? No, no. I haven't. It's I haven't. just him. It's it's him in an acoustic guitar and it's funny, but this version definitely really? plays up on the funniness of it and, yeah. and the fact that you can really feel this deacon standing up at the pulpit and letting it all loose and the congregation looking at him like what, what's going on? What's he saying? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I guess really something great.
1: happened with his wife and yeah. he wants to share Yeah, yeah. Um, It's so Don't try looking is. up the Bible verses because yeah. they're not there yeah. Ladies and gentlemen there's some very loose loose loose
2: very oh, loose interpretation The, the
1: slight
0: guitar solo on this song is also
1: brought. oh, it's so yeah, good, really so, great, so good. This is the closest he gets to showing us... off a little bit, yeah. yeah. But that's okay; it works really well. It has he has to do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it's this such is, a fun song; it is a
0: blast. <laughs> this is the this is a song where it's just to, to use your term, it's irresistible. You hear this and you are like, "This is yeah. great! I want to listen to this." This again. is yeah. fun,
1: like Paradise by the Dashboard Light, yeah. or one of yeah. those songs yeah. where it's not about your feelings;
2: no. it's just. <laughs> Pure fun Yeah, pure yeah. fun yeah. No,
0: it's a it's a good one It's a good yeah. one
2: Yeah, you're not looking to this, this song is not going to touch you
1: <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless you unless Your wife <laughs>
2: Unless you come home
1: And someone's Backsliding on your back gate <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, It's a good one All right Moving on to song number four On Side one little bit of a different tune. Jesus on the Main Line. line. Jesus on the Main Line. And
2: tell him what you want. That's an old classic. Fundamentalist Hymn. Fundamentalist Hymn, yeah. I think he does a great version of it. I love his guitar playing on it. I love this the tone that, of his that, guitar on that, that song. That
1: prodding. Well, yeah. yeah, the whole band's working together, and it reminds me of a caterpillar taking steps or something you know like that.
2: what it reminds that.
0: me of, especially with the horns? It's like a New Orleans funeral. That yeah, that it, kind of it does. Parade, it is, it is you know, exactly like, like down that. The street. That's what every time I hear it, I, I, yeah, I that's have precisely that what it's like. Yeah, and it does, uh, uh, well, that
1: may be intentional. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. The horns were arranged by George
2: Bonho- Bonhoeffer. Bon Bonham. Is that how you say it? Bon, bon, that's Baham. how you say Bonham Exchange. And, you know,
0: okay. Well, I don't know. Anyway, he was a, he was a big Motown guy.
2: Oh, yeah. So you got so. that right.
0: Although no. we got his name wrong, but <laughs> sorry, I, I have a question for you guys. Again, I am the I am the novice when it comes to music here in terms of playing. His guitar sounds utterly strange to me. What is he doing? Something? What's he doing on this
2: song? I think it's an open tuning, and I think he's using a a, a slide. But I think he's got going through a Leslie cabinet or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I,
1: and I think he's killing strings. Yeah, he's killing it, right? He plays it and kills it. It sounds like it stops abruptly. Yeah,
2: yeah. or stopping it with it, muting it with his uh, palm. right Hand, yeah, But yeah, that's a great. I love this. But one. I, I love tell it, you I what,
1: there's a whole there's a whole industry of people trying to figure out what he's doing, and most of them are making fools of, them, of themselves. And I think we just joined that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, he tells a story about a guy who just came out with the a book on his songs. Yeah. And Rykooter says, this is all wrong. Well, you don't even have the right tunings. I hope you're not publishing this.
0: <laughs> if, if you a tablature book. If you know anything yeah. about his history and how much he relied on older musicians to help him along, yeah. I would think that he would be one of the most willing guys to help somebody out with a project like that. Just to ask him, I would think, you know? And yeah. He'd help you out. It's It's funny that people don't, but yeah. take that approach, but he's he's
1: he's got a pretty smart-aleck attitude for people who think they figured out his
2: way <laughs> I, I could see that, yeah, I could see that, yeah, he is something I mean the guitar playing on this is something else. I love the arrangement, I love the vocal arrangement is not real clear on this, but I think there's a pump organ in there, well, maybe, and I, I can't tell who's playing that, but that guy named Ronnie Barron is listed as the as an organ player, but I don't know if that means you know Ronnie what means. yeah. That's that's fantastic. I love the organ playing on this.
0: All right, moving on to the final song on side two. It's all over now. This is a song some of you who aren't maybe not familiar with Ry Cooter have probably heard a version of this at some point.
2: This is a song probably made famous, um, more famous by the Rolling Stones. They do a much different version of this can, song. Can
0: I say something shocking?
2: You, you like, like this, this version, version better? better? I like the Rolling Stones version better. Really? That is shocking. That is, shocking. Shocking. That is actually shocking. Very shocking. Uh, this is a song written by Bobby w- Womack. He was, and his sister And his sister-in-law, yeah. Surely. Yeah. So uh, Bobby Womack, should, he should get more than he does he was a great singer great songwriter great guitarist um and worked in a whole bunch of different genres but he's also a very interesting guy he died not too long read interviews by him he's pretty interesting well the the
0: version that the, that he actually recorded bobby wilmack recorded was with his band the valentinos yeah and sam cook produced that that's single. right i
2: forgot that and wasn't he sam cook's guitar player for a while i think for a little while yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: the rolling stone connection and- the Rolling Stone version hit number one in the UK. I, I don't know how it did over here. Yeah, I don't know. It was their first number one hit.
1: Was it? Uh, did they make it a little reggae ish?
0: No, they didn't do that. No, no. Yeah. Well, you know this. You know their version of it. I can't know? remember. Well, should should I play
1: it? I'm scared to yeah. listen to them since you've been bad-mouthing them yeah, so much.
0: Like that. All right, here's the Rolling Stones version of that song. The reason I like that version so much is it's it's got a even though it's predates it considerably it's got a flying burrito brothers vibe too
2: yeah I can see that it's and it's got that four on the floor dance beat to it which is a little bit irresistible. Yeah um, uh
0: and then as Doug mentioned with the reggae version that's the whole reason he recorded this he was gonna he said you know I'm not touching a Bobby Wilmax song and then he realized it had a little he could do something with the reggae beat to it, and so huh. that's why he he recorded this version of it. Huh. Here, a little bit of history. Uh, so, The Stones, number one hit. Waylon Jennings, of course, oh, uh, yeah. did a version of this on The One and Only, which is pre-Outlaw stuff. Rod Stewart did it on Gasoline Alley, and The Grateful Dead performed this song 154 times <laughs> live. <laughs> So in one night, in one yeah. <laughs> in one night, probably felt that way when they did it. But
2: it took them ten years to get through it. You, get, you know, if you listen
0: to it, oh, Swartz also recorded this in 1974. And what's weird about their version of it is it's very, very, very reggae. So they released oh, a really? version of this song the same year that Ry Cooter does, and they both took the same approach. Now I don't know if they heard his version, yeah. or did it yeah. real quick, or if they were they were coming yeah. from the same place. But I found that very very interesting. <laughs> that is, and it it seems very
1: apparent that it's reggae ish. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you never heard someone do it that way, you wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't occur to you. I don't know.
0: I uh, you know this is a fun song. It's not necessarily my cup of tea per mm-hmm. se. But I'm not going to knock it because it is fun. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a good way to roll out this side of the album. It'd be
1: good at Aqua Fest while you're walking around or waiting in line for uh, Coca-Cola.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a dog. And cool. All right, we ready to flip her over? I yes. think it's a good time to flip. All right, we're gonna play song one, side two. It's a medley. Fool for a cigarette. Feeling good. Mm-hmm.
1: Lord, I'm a fool for a cigarette When you finish choking Cause I want to smoke it Lord, I'm a fool for a cigarette Mine
0: So, I've, I've never heard somebody <laughs> say, choke choke the cigarette. That's yeah. a weird phrase. That, that's weird where you phrase. pinch it? No, no I, is don't it? What it, I don't mean, know what it I mean, it's definitely snuffing it out. I thought and you pinch it
1: and then leave a little for the guy.
0: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> no, that's what he's talking about is saving uh, it. But I'd never heard it called choke it. But I guess yeah. that rhymes with smoke it. So, you yeah, say choke yeah. it. And there, it, This is in that long,
1: uh, wonderful group of songs about... People addicted to cigarettes. Mm. That's what one smoke, Doc Watson smoke, used to smoke, 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 that, smoke that cigarette. cigarette. Did uh, yep. did Commander Cody ever do that? Yes. One? Okay, they had to. <laughs> yes. That sounds like the most Commander
0: yes. Cody <laughs> yeah, song ever. In fact, I think that it was a it was a hit a hit for them. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, one thing to say, a couple of things I want to say about this. Uh, first of all, one of the songwriters on this is a guy named Jim Dixon. Is any? I have no. I can't tell which what part he. I, uh, I don't know why he's listed. He Explain to the.
0: Explain to the okay. folks at home, Jam, who Jim All Dickinson right. is.
2: So, if you know uh, the replacements, that's probably what he's he's most associated with. Alex Chilton, uh, he was a pianist out of Memphis, very sought after Memphis guy uh, producer. Producer. Um, yeah, who else did he produce besides Otis? He Otis, did the Otis. Right?
0: No, no, he did the Otis album, I believe, by Mojo Nixon. Is I, that right?
2: I'm pretty sure that was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he produced that album. Uh, yeah, so he he's was just a, a Memphis staple. I. I'd even when i went to school there he was you could it was not hard to find him but
0: well he yeah he's uh he's a guy who's uh, all over that whole memphis scene yeah um and uh, and and one of these guys who's whose approach to rock and roll is to make it as dirty and uh, crazy as possible Yeah, you know but i'm not sure why he's i mean the song is it, like i said it's a medley it's uh, two mm-hmm. songs fool for a cigarette which was written by uh, a Memphis songwriter named Sidney Bailey, and then a 1960 song called Feeling Good by J.B. Lenoir. I'm not sure where Jim Dickinson... I mean, he, he collaborated with Ry Cooter a lot.
2: Yeah, he did. But I
0: don't know. I, um, I looked all over the place to find out why his name's on this song, and I don't...
2: Yeah, I couldn't anything. figure that out. It, was, it surprised me that he got credit but yeah anyway he's he's somebody to look up. The other thing I want to say about this is uh, that's Ry Cooter playing mandolin. He is an excellent guitar player, but he is he isn't he is excellent at anything with strings. I mean that is the uh he also also plays piano, but he um if you look at his soundtrack work or some of his later albums, he's playing anything that has strings on it. bazooki, violin, Viola, mandocello, mandolin. He he played mandolin on "Love in Vain." Stones, oh yeah, the by the Stones, Stones song, yeah, Stones, the Stones, Stones' version of that
0: Robert Johnson song. He, yeah, he played mandolin. That's right. So. Doug, do you want to say anything about this? Uh, no.
2: <laughs> Less <laughs> said, the better. I, I,
0: I think it's an odd little song. There's a lot going on. It's I love the drums on it. Oh, it's
1: it's. In in my opinion, there's songwriters who are trying to tell a story, and there's musicians. Who need a vehicle for their music. Right. This
0: is the latter. I got you. Yeah. All right. Well, we will move on then to song number two on side two, If Walls Could Talk.
2: This is another one that his voice doesn't sound. It sounds very different on this song. Then I'm almost to the point where I'm not entirely sure it's him singing. But um, it's uh, another, and it's also another one about being cheated on by or cheating on someone. I think it's fun. Yeah, it is. It's a song that uh,
0: this is a song a lot like um, "Married Married Man's a Fool," where you can yeah. just see a bunch of guys having a little too much, being a little slightly overserved. On, the,
1: on they, they're leaving along. the bar, they're yeah. on the corner. Yeah,
0: yeah. Singing <laughs> along. Uh, this also this song also has a pretty fine solo in it. Yeah, it does have. You
1: know. I think it's pretty good uh, demonstration of what he can do with his voice. Yeah, it would be wrong to say that he's an exceptional singer. But he's certainly a functional singer. Yeah. And there's something about the limits of his voice. We've talked about this before. When a person's voice is limited properly. It
0: advances a song. It, mm. it makes a song better. I, I yeah. think for the most part, I'm not going to say for everything, but for the most part, it's perfect for what he's doing. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: Almost always. I've never heard him like, oh, boy, that's Ray Cooter. I don't want to hear him sing. It, but he's also,
1: if you were... Forming a super band, you wouldn't say, who do we need for vocals?
0: Well Paul Rogers or When when we get to the super band they did form, mm. I don't believe he's singing. He much, didn't get right? a, he didn't get a <laughs> singing part. I, think, I don't think he's singing much. But anyway, all right. Yeah. So moving on to song number three on side two. It's a Burt Bacharach song, surprise, surprise. Don't it's- tell me what it's all about. That's funny. I always go straight to what the world needs now all right called mexican divorce
2: cross the rio grande and you will find
0: So time
2: for you okay. A very good take. I, I, I've never heard the Burke backrock' version. Well, have you heard I, the Burke Doesn't have a version. Have you heard the Drifters version of it.
0: Uh-uh. They, do,
2: they Drifters
0: do it. Yeah, they recorded it in 1962, <laughs> and it's their. You know, That's it's why we have like tea here, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. I think this maybe. I think this is a miss. This song, really? Yeah.
2: I think that. I can see that. I think that when I first heard, started listening to this album pretty seriously, uh, I did think it was, it was, it wasn't one that I skipped, but it was one that I was glad it was over. But it, I was
1: really surprised that it was a Burt Bacharach song because well, yeah. his are always a really nice package. And this thing seems like it's, it doesn't have a nice wrap-up. When you're in a Mexican the no, the divorce, I mean... Yeah. And I don't know if that's something Rock did to it, but well, do you, it you doesn't seem polished. You want to hear the Yes, I, of course version. I do.
0: Okay, let me get to that. Um. Close, Where you leave your past behind One day house last night
1: okay that doesn't have the element that I was just talking about yeah I I, I guess Cooter introduced that element yeah. it,
0: it's it's weird because it I'm a little surprised by how Sort of stereotypically Tex-Mex. This song sounds for somebody mm-hmm. like Rock yeah. It's it's yeah. almost like he wasn't really trying. He's like, okay, we need to add this element, this but element. But he didn't know what he was doing yet. This is right. before he got into. I get it.
1: Okay. Into the Tex-Mex and Flacco and all of that.
0: It and then I don't know. Is that the vibes?
2: What is that? Yeah, I think that's Milt Holland playing I, uh, the, the vibes on it, that. It
0: just, I just, it just. To no, I, I agree. Not, it's just, yeah. it just, think it's, it's awkward. A it's, yeah.
1: it's. Uh, It's like he came into the studio a little intoxicated, and (laughs) he missed it.
2: I I can kind of see that, but I... (laughs) I like first of all I think it's a good song I mean I think it, it's, well when the drifters sing it, it well is, it's yeah. Burt Bacharach yeah, <laughs> yeah how could it
1: not be a good song yeah but you guys the way to San
2: Jose I hear what you guys are saying and I agree with that but for some reason that adds a cheesiness to it that I it, it I mean it's a it, sad, it's a song about a sad thing happening but the way that it's just presented I think is I,
0: I'm gonna throw this guy the specter of this guy again I could easily see Jimmy Buffett singing this.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs>
2: this that version is, of it. Yeah. That is, that's
1: true.
0: <laughs> nobody could argue
1: with that and not be
0: called a liar. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's that why this song's a little surprising to me, because while I don't necessarily love everything on this album, yeah. I do get what he's, what he's trying to do, and yeah. a, it always fascinates me or interests me. But you know that if Jimmy Buffett did it, he would go, ha, ha, ha,
2: at the end of some Probably. verse. Yeah.
0: Anyway. i kicked his ass. Uh, I, just, I just found, I found this, uh, it just was an odd, an odd song in the middle of everything else we'd listened to. But thank God. <laughs> thank God for what the comes song, next. The album ends with the next song. Diddy Wah Diddy. Oh, my lord.
1: Mr. Diddy Wah Diddy, I wish somebody would tell me what Diddy Wah Diddy means.
2: piano playing is incredible on it. I love Ray Cooter's guitar. That's all it is. It's just It's a, a duet it's between
0: a, between him and um and Earl Hines.
2: Yeah, Earl Hines. And it's a song by a guy, guy named uh, he went by the name of Blind Blake. He was Arthur Blake, I think, and it was he died in 1934. So that tells you how old this
1: song There's is. a there's a lot of blind people <laughs> in these Yeah. Um, everybody that was blind got a yeah. chance to go with Cooter.
0: <laughs> I, I bet you I I bet you I every time I listen to this album I I never didn't uh, how do I say this I never didn't press repeat when I heard when this uh, yeah. album was over so I could hear the song immediately again. I
1: well, love the this is a a chance to hear the slide guitar by itself without. Yeah. And even even though it's so isolated and by itself there's no effort to uh, impress anybody with it.
0: Well, and then he's got this amazing Pianist playing with him. Um, you know the, fu- the funny thing about that is he, the guy was in town, and Ry Cooder picks up the phone and calls him. G- guy, uh, guy had never heard of Ry Cooder. But He said, "Hey, would you come down and, and re- record <laughs> with me?" And he brought Earl Hines. Brought this song to the recording. Is that station. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh wow. He said, wow. "I." Uh, he said, uh, I, "I think I got a song we can play." Wow. Wow. And it's this song.
1: And that's that's so Ry Cooder to not be. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, the boss. Well, this that, guy
0: was—he loves soaking it up like a yeah. sponge. This yeah. guy, Earl Hines was a was a hero of his. Oh sure, you know? yeah. And so the fact that he, you know, he's not going to say no. I don't think we should do that. But this song is this song is great. I mean, the album ends on a high note. It it's irresistible again. To quote yeah. you, it's it's incredible. And as you said, it's so simple. It's just the guitar and the piano, and you get to hear that. Sort of Interplay, on its own,
2: yeah. The inter, it's just yeah, it's a fantastic. What a, what
1: a cool song. thing to have two great musicians at the top of their game, yeah. bouncing off each other that
2: way. Yep. And he was Earl Hines was a jazz pianist. Uh, I think did he played with Dizzy Gillespie. So oh, I've I, I got. He's on a bunch of these yeah, albums. Yeah, he's on a bunch I, of yeah, them. He's albums. one
0: of those guys that was. Uh, yeah. I think he did play with Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, or anybody who wanted to. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that uh, guys that wraps up. Uh, Paradise and Lunch. Mighty I'd, fine
2: album. I'd say so. Did we want to talk about a little bit about what happened after this album? Sure. Ry Cooter did some interesting stuff after this. Some of it got a little. He, he embraced some of the technology that was going on. I think he was one of the first people to ever make a digital he album. Was. He, he was. He was the first. first the first yep. to make a digital
1: album. Oh, no. Set one. Bop till you drop yeah. was the first. It was, it was early
0: on too. Like he was the first digital
1: adopter. recording, and there's mixed reviews on yeah. how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so yeah, he kind of sh- uh, shut. Uh, uh, brought in the uh, what do you call it? The ADD format. The attention which, which, deficit uh, disorder. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's the mastery There's the recording in digital. There's the mastering, yeah. in, and then there's the. Uh, uh- well, he
1: he did the uh, digital recording on tape and said it was fantastic. It was so great. And then years later,
0: he went back to analog. So there's some <laughs> question about yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think uh, I think there's something about something to be said about being intrigued by the te- technology at the time and then realizing, hey, I was one of the first first people I knew that bought a CD player. And we're recording in digital right now. Yeah. It's so sophisticated, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I prefer to buy I prefer to buy an album if I have a choice. They just oh, yeah. sound they sound better. They sound better. Um,
1: I guess they have digitally recorded albums now. Yeah, that's interesting. They transfer it onto the other format.
2: Yep. Um, another thing that if you look up his Rolling Scur- Stone record reviews or something, he. Uh, <laughs> He doesn't always get the best uh, reviews. I mean, and I think that he, there's a little bit of prejudice because he, he does. I mean, he, there are albums where he wrote the whole, uh, all the songs on it. But uh, you know, I think he's not, he's definitely do, not known as one of the better songwriters. Do his
0: covers get better?
2: You get a little better. Also,
0: I have something Martin I'd like to say to,
1: to there, so. the Rolling Stone magazine. They're so good at being wrong. <laughs> what did they say about this? <laughs> well, I think it's, it's four and a half or something. I think it's pretty high. It's yeah. pretty well re- reviewed, but um, even even an idiot can get it right. <laughs> and I've, I've got three Rolling Stone guides, and none of them agree with each other. So That's I don't know why they You're occupy right. the position they do in, in
2: music
0: reviews. Yeah. I have no idea. I think Jan Winters has uh, pictures of people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but the thing, one of the things that I thought really I did read in Rolling Stone was you really it, and I do think this is true. If you want to find out the essence of Rykooter, if you want to see him at his apex of what he does best, it is the soundtracks. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the, the, the opening of well, that's where he writes, yeah. When you, the opening of Paris, Texas is, is one of the most haunting. Uh, and it's perfect for them. And,
1: and I, I would just like to take this opportunity to say that if you are one of these people that do not live in the state of Texas, Paris, Texas is not a desert wasteland. <laughs> it's so- – <laughs> when I watch that movie, I say, are they really pretending they're in Paris, Texas? <laughs> It's it starts- almost in the uh, piney woods. Yeah, it's yeah. real close.
2: I thought that that was a point that they he starts off in Mexico. He's all lost, and that's his brother goes down and gets him, and then they go to the to Paris, Texas, because that's. Where but when he got to, to Paris,
1: Texas, it was still all still pretty. Yeah, you're right. But- deserted, uh, or, and,
0: and they have an uh, Eiffel Tower replica with a cowboy hat. <laughs> we did mention a super group that uh, oh, Ry yeah. was involved in. He, in uh, 91, I think, he was in a band with John Hyatt, Nick Lowe, Jim Keltner called Little Village. Yeah. And uh, and each of the members, you know, had uh, they got together, I think, because they had worked on John Hyatt's 1987 album, Bring the Family. Yeah. And so they thought, hey, let's get together and do it. And uh, it's funny, uh, the original name for the band, which I think is actually better, I wish they'd kept it, was called Hiatus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, what I read was that John Hyatt. Want, didn't want it to be a solo album. He thought it was good. Kind of a, a traveling Wilbury's thing. Yeah, he, and he, but the record company said, "No, this is a John Hyatt album." So then he eventually said, "Well, let's uh, next time we're gonna do it as a Little Village." Um, anyway, all four of them wrote, and most
0: of the, most of them, the songs were sung by John Hyatt. Although Nick Lowe does sing a couple of songs, I am going to play you a tune as we speak. So yeah, we're going to play a little a little tune by Little Village, a little tune by Little Village called Fool Who Knows. If it's built on sand If it's built
1: on rock there ain't nothing that it can't withstand
0: I guess you know by now how this story goes
1: True story. Take it from a fool who knows. Anyway, that's oh. wild how much that sounds like everybody in the band. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty nice, though. I like Sounds that. like John Hyatt and Nick Lowe and <laughs> Kenny Arnav. Yeah, Uh-oh.
0: anywho.
1: That sounds good. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah, that sounds
1: really good. Sorry. Whatever the hell that was. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so it was the '90s is when he started really getting into world music. I mean, he discovered Tex-Mex and all that, but he did there was a, you know he worked with Flaco Jimenez a lot. He uh, you know he just um, really dove into uh, Tex-Mex and then took a detour and made an album that I actually think well I would love for us to review sometime, but it's by this African artist and it's got Clarence Gatemouth Brown on it as well and Joaquin Cooter talking Timbuktu. By uh, this guy named Ale Alefarka Ture, um, he and he died pretty soon after that album was made, so they couldn't really tour it or anything. And it was right after that that was when he really started getting into the Havana, you know, music from Havana, the club music from Havana from the twenties and thirties, and that brought us the what we were talking about earlier, uh, Buena Vista. So he was a, a restless guy, which I think is makes it always difficult for them to become. But I'm very glad that Buena Vista Social Club became as big a deal as it did. But he also, and his soundtracks, again, just...
0: Well, I I think his restlessness speaks volumes to the kind of recording. Yeah. You know, he would just pull stuff that was interesting to him because that's what he wanted to do. But he was, I mean, he was kind of all over the map, but in a good way. I mean, it's... Anyway. So are we uh, ready to go to our ratings for this album, gentlemen?
1: I
2: believe so.
0: All right. i as myself feel ready. All right. Well, I will not. JM, I'm going to save you for last. Go straight for host Doug Cooper. Doug, what is your? So we do two ratings as always. One is a critical rating, i.e., you know, talking about the musical artistic merits of the album, and then we do a personal rating, which is basically would we listen to this again or how how it sort of touches us in one way or another. That very cold hearted critic review. So, Doug,
1: uh, I'm going to be. Extremely boring. Uh as as a critic, I'm gonna give it a four-five. Okay. And as uh a person with a heart and a circulatory system, I'm gonna give it a four-five. Uh, that's it.
0: It's a I enjoy it. Four-five ish. Cool. All right. Well, I'm gonna go to me next. I am going to also go to four or five critic wise. I I think this album, even though this term wasn't necessarily bandied about at the time, is the essence of Americana. It is it is touching on all sorts of different genres. You know, people think of Americana now, and they think of mainly roots acoustic music. music. Yeah. And just roots music, like country, bluegrass, that kind of yeah. stuff. But this really touches on everything American music of the 20th century. You know, we've got gospel, blues, R and B, Tex-Mex, all of that stuff, and none of it with the set saving with this one song is jarring. How it moves from one genre to another, yeah. it really works well. So I I really. I, I think critically, it's 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 a good piece. Personally, I'm going to give it a three seven. I appreciate what's going on here, but there are some songs I just that just don't get. You know, I don't like them. They don't. They're not my taste. Uh, mm-hmm. That might change on repeated <clears throat> listens, but I I'm not sure that's the case. Diddy wah Diddy and Married Man Married Man's a fool. Are I love both of those songs. I think they're fantastic. I will listen to those again. There's just some stuff that doesn't doesn't quite grab me. It doesn't mean it's bad. I don't want, you know, I don't want hate mail for saying that who are people who are Waikuta fans. It just, you know, so yeah, four, five, and three, seven.
2: Okay, jam. All right. Well, I'm going to go with my cold-hearted critic first. I'm going to give it a four, two as a critic. And I think the only reason I would do that is I think the song selection for people... You say you said jarring. You said there's that one uh, Mexican divorce is a little jarring, and that the uh, it's it's great piece of Americana overall. I agree with that a hundred percent. I think that the but because it's not original music, because it's um, done it, there's you can't really say what's the essence of Ry Cooter. I could see why people would give this or two. So that's what as a critic, that's my whole cold hearted critic. As a with my Feeling self four seven. I don't there's not a to me, there's not there's hardly a, a note wasted on this. I love every song on this. I love every even the Mexican divorce song. I, I think it's really great. Tatler, I think, is one of the best songs that came yep. out of the 70s. Um I absolutely love the guitar playing on it. It's one the Tatler is one of those things I look up on the web or on YouTube just to see Ry Cooter play it. Uh, and to see who in Flock there's a version of it on the midnight special with Flocko Man,
0: Well, you can go to our website and yeah. likely see it when it's up.
2: That's true. Um, no more searching YouTube.
1: I yeah. I don't remember the midnight special when I was a kid, but that, that they recorded so much <laughs> important know.
2: music. I know. So yeah, hardly re- highly recommend uh, checking that out and going up to our website and checking. So uh, yeah, so it's a it's a four seven to me. Absolutely love it. I can't even. I don't know exactly why I would would dock it anything. I mean, there's nothing. To, the thing that I think Ry Cooter does very very well. And he does it very well on this album. Is the production is sparse but not boring. I mean, you can never say that it's it's overproduced. It just seems like the the instrumentation and the arrangements are just. Uh, you know, it, it it seems like they're rehearsed and thought out, but it doesn't seem it. It's so organic. Uh, comes together. So I could probably talk myself into making it a five. but <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, you know, right off hand, I can't think of anything that I dislike about it. maybe a little bit of that. Yeah. You can't, uh, it'd be great to hear some other people maybe seeing some of these songs, but still
0: maybe uh, less
2: vibes. Yeah, less vibes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good
0: jam. So now comes the part of the old podcast where yours truly makes a recommendation. Um, I, was interested in poking around in the whole Ry Cooter cat a little bit. And I found out that he had released an album with Taj Mahal in April of this year, 2022. This, uh, isn't quite the newest album we've done. I think the Jason, Jason Ringenberg album had been released a week before I recommended it, <laughs> but this is pretty close. Uh, the album is called get on board the songs of Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. And, uh, like the LP we're talking about tonight It's not all of it's my cup of tea But it's such a loose record And it feels almost like You're, you're eavesdropping on a conversation Between two guys that have Known each other for a long time And are kind of jam- like just sitting around jamming And it's immensely So I'm going to play a couple of songs off of it One of them is called I Shall Not Be Moved I be moved Another one is called Cornbread, Peas, and Black Molasses. Finally, pick a bale of cotton. So essentially, it's Taj Mahal, Rai Cooter, and his son Joaquin Cooter. It's just the three of them, and like I said, it's just—it's just, it's just huh. again, not not all of it is something I would instantly go to, but it's really, it, it's it's put it on, listen to it. It's a very enjoyable album to listen to front to back. All right, get on board the songs of Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee.
2: All right, Tony. Well, thank you very much. Uh, please let us know what you think about this podcast. Or any other podcasts that we've done, go up to our uh, the streaming platform that where you downloaded us. And uh, please leave us a review. Leave us some stars. And also, if you know anybody who is a fan of the long player format, likes albums, please let them know about this podcast. We're trying to get the word out. We're also trying to... Uh, put these podcasts out a little more frequently than we have been. We've had some technical difficulties and some uh, location difficulties, but we hope to be in the new year, getting back on a more regular schedule. And of course, for the ultimate, ultimate, this is vinyl tap experience, please visit our website, tappingvinyl.com. You'll find links to all of our past episodes, uh, as well as uh, other videos of these guys have made that these the artists have made and of course uh, you can also leave us reviews there and uh, contact us and find out more about who we are but you can find out more about this is vinyl tap up there and you can leave us reviews you can contact us let us know what you would like for us to listen to in the future and if you have a recommendation for uh, ways we can make the podcast better we'd appreciate that as well next week we're going to be uh it's a listener's choice pick And we're going to be doing an album by the great songwriter Warren Zevon, his first album, Warren (laughs) Zevon. our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. And aren't you glad that shoes don't talk? (laughs) Everybody's desperate, trying to make ends meet, work all day.